what's up guys what i wanted to talk about today was take a pause at this moment in time now and i just want to bring you guys out to the water here because i just want to ask you a question do you know how to catch a wave when you're surfing for those of you who don't know how to surf as someone who works all the time in the office and someone with self-proclaimed soft feet like myself look i don't know how to surf i'll be honest but follow me here with this analogy because i've seen it done a few times i've sat out here and i've watched these guys do it just go with me so I was recently talking to some of my partners and some brokers, common thread in these conversations, this recovery going on at the moment. We're starting to see this country get back in order. And certainly a lot of us are making that call. Second half of 2021 is going to be when things are going to be really strong. Now, I believe this is going to be the biggest wave I've ever seen in my lifetime, maybe even yours. How do I know this? The stimulus that has been pumped into the economy dwarf the recession of 2008. There have been many indications, if you've been following my monthly green sheet updates, multiple rounds are coming. Now, if you caught that slip of the tongue from Senator Cargan's hot mic incident the uh, last month, he was talking about how he thinks that the Democrats are going to push their weight around now that they have the majority vote. And basically, they're going to be the already $1.9 trillion stimulus that just went through economic package that would be reportedly costing between 2 and $4 trillion this is on top of all that stuff they did in 2020. Now, ultimately, this helps us investors as more money flows to our tenants and then, of course, to us in our pocketbooks. As investors, it's a heads I win, tails I win situation. Who knows? They may find ways to directly stimulate our already good lending programs such as Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. If not, we'll keep cash flowing. That's the nice thing about the business plan. Now, inflation is going to come to pay for all this mess. And the savers, those who are hoarding money in their bank account or keeping it locked up as home equity, not doing anything. Relative value to the loan are eventually deflated over time as inflation happens. This is another one of the many reasons why we do what we do and we pick up good Fannie Mae Freddie Mac debt and from other community banks. Fannie Mae Freddie Mac, a lot of the big economic houses out there are forecasting a five to eight GDP growth just for one quarter coming out the second half of this year. I've been consistently discussing this amongst my closest peers and amongst my inner circle investor group. Now, what are we doing to get ready? Now, going back to my surfing, how do you catch a wave? When you see that swell out there, you got to start paddling now because you've got to pick enough speed in order to, if you wait too long and you just wait to see those statistics come into play quarter three, quarter four, whenever Lane and company are saying it's going to happen. It's going to be too late. The wave's just going to go right over you. And then you're going to say, those guys just got lucky, right? And ultimately, you're going to be missing out on one of the biggest bull markets you see. Remember, COVID-19 brought about a health pandemic prior to the recession. There was nothing wrong with the economy. All-time lows of unemployment. Don't be like most people. This wave is going to go right underneath. And they're going to be making an excuse of why they missed out. Or worst off, just chalk it up to people being lucky. Look. People who are putting themselves in position now, getting speed, paddling, going into good opportunities, they're not the lucky ones. They were the people working hard while people who are just sitting around on their board like this. Those who are active now, picking up good debt, good deals that are cash flowing, will be the winners. Now, luck equals opportunity plus preparation. We are preparing now by starting to invest capital last year. If you notice what we were doing last year, we were picking up deals. We were still remaining active in 2020. Now, what this has enabled for us is this gets us at the top of the line when brokers finally have deals coming through the pipeline. They have us on speed dial. 
Because as I say, this is probably one of the biggest waves or bull markets you've ever seen in this lifetime. Don't wait until Q4 or the summer to see the ass end of this wave come through. The people who are doing this right started to see this wave off into the distance and starting to paddle now. And that's what I'm personally doing. I'm deploying my funds, getting more offers out there as we speak. Do you see the wave coming? Do you know you've got to pick up some speed in order to catch the wave? What are you missing? More education? Seriously, shoot me an email, lane at simple passive cash if you have any education questions. What do you need? What's missing? Because if you're not in the game and you're not putting money out there, you're not learning. All right, talk to you guys later. I just wanted to let myself outside of the office. I got to get back in there. I'm enjoying this break, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys for listening. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today we have Rachel Marshall from the Money Advantage podcast talking about a bunch of money hacks for the rich people. Hey, Rachel, how's it going? Very awesome, Lane. Great to be here today. So one of the first things we'll point out is you are not a traditional financial planner. And, yeah, uh, I would say that. You're absolutely right there. And maybe uh, I'm sure you've, here's the platform to finally air it out. Why did you deviate from that path? Great question. Really, I see a lot of typical financial planning being along these lines of telling people what to do that ends up taking away their control. And it's really unfortunate, but I think there's a much better way than listening to common financial advice where you're going to hear things like, hey, invest for the long haul in the stock market and just stay in. And when the money goes up and the money goes down, you're going to be fine to stay in while you're paying guaranteed management fees to the fund managers and they're winning and you potentially are really losing. We also see things like people say, oh, pay off your debt as quickly as possible because then you're going to be debt free. That's not really a position of financial control. So when we see so many financial strategies and so much financial information really taking that cash flow and taking the control out of the hands of people, that's really something that I want to be in a position of giving back the cash flow and giving back control to the people we work with. All right. So the people listening are high paid professionals already investing in real estate and uh, start drinking the Kool-Aid. Maybe we can talk about Love that it. HELOC strategy in a little bit, but you know they're already about to break up with their financial planner. And uh, what would you say would be, people are probably calling them crazy. What are some suggestions on what to tell your friends and family when you're going to get rid of that person? That's a really insightful question. And I think it really comes back to, you have to ask yourself, who do I want to be in control of my financial destiny? And especially as a high paid professional or somebody who's already accredited status for their investing, you're in a position where common strategies and common financial stuff just really doesn't work for you. And if you are being honest with yourself about where you want to go and what you want to create in your life and the tremendous wealth that you want to have, I think it takes a little bit of courage to be able to say, hey, I need to do things differently and really step out and be honest about the fact that I need to be in financial control. I don't want to just trust somebody else or rely on them. And really what it comes down to for us is we say, you, the person we're talking to, you are the best financial advisor you'll ever have. And I know that sounds really odd, especially if I'm in the financial industry, but it's because we really believe that you are the best person to be in control. And I think that's really the, the crux, what it comes down to, that 
people who are breaking up with their financial advisor and really going off the range and saying, okay, how do I have as much cash flow as possible? How do I invest in cash flowing assets? How do I invest in real estate and all these deals that you are talking about, Lane? It's really those people who are saying, I want something different. I saw my dad, my grandpa invest in the stock market and I saw that money go up and I saw it come down and I saw their life savings crash in front of their eyes and I don't want that. I really want to be in a position where I control my future and I have cash flow coming in. And so I think we talk to a lot of people as well, like yourself, that um, have drank that Kool-Aid and sometimes they're earlier on that path of saying, hey, I want to take control. It's usually people who've read Robert Kiyosaki and, and they're saying, hey, I want to get in a position where I'm truly an investor, a business owner, and I'm not just working for money. So there's a huge tribe of people doing that. And I think sometimes it just takes courage to jump into that sphere and say, wow, there's a lot of people who are already doing this. And a lot of the mainstream advice out there are for the masses. Take the book by Tony Robbins. He recently wrote, which I heard was good. It's four inches thick though, and it takes forever. Yeah. But the, in a nutshell, he's telling people just go after the ETFs because it's low cost. But he's behind the scenes. He's just telling people, hey, look, you're an average person. You suck at this. You have no advantage. You might as well just go on the cheap thing because you don't know any better. And it's just like people who follow Grant Cardone, he has a podcast and he sort of educates you just on the surface enough to shake your paradigm. But then he's basically like, you suck. You're not going to be able to be a real estate investor like me because I have an army of team behind me. Just invest in my fund. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read Tony's book and I've heard people speak very highly of it as well. But I think it really comes down to, do you believe that you're the best person to be in control. And what's interesting is you talked about being a high paid professional. And what's interesting is a lot of people would say, my income is probably similar to my neighbor or the people that I hang out with. And that's my social circle and my sphere of influence. But the top 25% of people make 77,000. The top 10% are making something over 133,000. The top 5% is anybody who makes over 188,000. And the top 1%, it's not the millionaires and ultra billionaires. To be in the top 1%, all you need to do is make $465,000 a year. So if you are in a top category, you're not common. You, you don't have common income. So don't follow common advice. You are a person who needs uncommon strategies that really will help you to continue to up-level and scale and grow your wealth. I wanted to, just to illustrate that concept, there are strategies for the 1%. There are strategies for the top 90 percentile. And then there's the rest, the strategies for the masses. I think the masses, just to use this as an example, the strategy for the masses is don't have any debt. And I think most of us who are listening to this know what a complete BS this is. You want debt, you want to lock up long-term debt to create more um, assets that produce more income long-term and grow mm -hmm. your net worth Absolutely. exponentially. Because what's interesting is if you do have debt, so you mentioned lock up your debt in for a long period of time. A lot of people are saying, hey, you should have these shorter mortgages and you should try to get the lowest interest rate possible and pay things off as quickly as possible. But again, that is not uncommon advice. That is common advice. Now, here's the thing. You really want to be thinking about how do you have the smallest payment how do you get that? Well, you have the longest term on your loan. I, what's interesting, Japan has 100-year mortgages. I wish that I could get 100-year mortgage. That would be amazing. And the reason that I say that is that I would like to have all of the extra cash flow because a 100-year mortgage payment is going to be tremendously smaller than if I had a 10-year or 15-year mortgage because that 
is constricted down into a shorter time frame, so you have to pay more per month. And so if I think about how can I have the smallest amount of payment per month on my fixed payments, I'm actually improving my debt to income ratio, which means I can actually get better interest rates on future loans. I'm also in a safer position because now I'm in a position where I can easily make those payments and I'm not in a risk position of not being able to make those loan payments, which then means my credit score is going to be improved. And you're in a position where you're focused then on cash flow, not just on paying off the loans as quickly as possible. So I just wanted to illustrate your point there. Are you a non-credit investor looking for opportunities to invest passively? How about a newer investor looking to get a bit of a track record and confidence from your spouse who's a little bit skeptic of what you've been listening to the last few months? And could you use the reinforcement of double-digit returns paid like clockwork in the form of monthly dividends? The American Home Preservation Fund, or AHP, is currently open again and is looking to bring new investors with them. I have been investing with them since 2016 and originally I used it as a means to pay for my regular expenses. I started with $60,000 as my initial investment and that paid my car payment completely for me every single month. HB collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes via restructuring or selling the debts unlike their competitors. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when owner George Newberry saw the impact Simple Passive Cashflow was making and eventually approached me to become a spokesperson of the company. You can start investing with as little as 100 bucks, and if you want a free bird zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. For more information about investing with AHP, go to hpservicing.com slash investors. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. So switching over to the opposite end, the, the advice for the 1%. It's simple, right? For higher net worth people, it's go get a few rental properties, maybe some turnkeys, and then step into mm -hmm. private placements and syndications and grow and invest that money and create cash flow and long-term net worth gain. And interesting enough, you mentioned improve your credit score. For the 1%, I don't care about my credit score. I'm not getting the debt. The general partners are getting the debt on my behalf. Switching back to where I'm landing on this, this advice for that top 90 percentile that maybe you, I know you and I wanted to bash this strategy for the 90 percentile. It's not horrible, but it's not the best thing that you could be doing. And that's the uh, taking your HELOC, paying down your home. Maybe people who haven't heard of this strategy before, maybe, can you outline it for us real quick? I can. And I'm honestly not super familiar with this because this is not something we recommend. But the idea would be, well, let's have the HELOC and then let's put all of our income into the HELOC and use the HELOC to pay off all of our expenses and including our mortgage and all of our other debts and all of our lifestyle expenses. And the idea is that you're gonna save a little bit in interest. At the end of the rainbow, really the goal of that is to pay off your loans quickly and save a little bit of interest. But if you really think about it, if you're in a position where you are putting all of your cash flow into your home via your HELOC, you're in a position where your cash is going into the four walls of your house. Now, if you have equity built up in your house, yeah, that's nice, but what if you want to use that money to then go put into real estate and private placements? That money is locked up. That's not something you're going to necessarily be able to go access and put to use in rental real estate. And so what you want to do is you want to think about how can I have my cash stored in places that A, is safe, it's not going to drop in value unless I take it out, where a house 
if you're putting the money into your HELOC and into your four walls of your house, if the market does drop, then you lose that equity. So you want it to be safe. You also want it to be accessible. Now, in any circumstance, you want to be able to get to that money. You don't want to have to say, look, right now I don't have the income. And so I need to be able to tap into this mortgage and pull the money out. You want to be in a position where you can access that capital regardless of your financial circumstance. And it's arguable that you could say, hey, I'm high net worth and I have lots of money and I don't have to worry about ever being in a position without income. But you want to put yourself in a position where you're never going to have a cash flow crunch. If you have a lot of properties and you do dry up in income or you have a tough month or you have a tough couple of months, you want to be in a position where you can access that capital because there's so many real estate investors that have been in a position when the market did dry up and they didn't have the capital that they could access and it completely wiped them out. And so to be in a safe position, you want to prevent that cash flow crunch. So you want to store your money, not just in the four walls of the house. Like I said, you want to have it where it's safe, where you can always access it and where it is growing. Yeah. So if you guys want, are a little slow to the party here and you want to watch the full one hour plus webinar on this simplepassivecashflow.com slash HELOC, and you can learn about all about this pretty bad strategy in my opinion, but you know, you're paying down debt here and okay, but it's not the best optimal strategy. And people, I, I get this all the time. That's why I just really wanted to talk about it. People in the mastermind will be like, well, I've heard of this strategy. And it's an awesome like YouTube zinger headline, right? Pay your mortgage off in four to seven years, but it's just not a good strategy that the wealthy do. Well, um, here's the interesting thing. The wealthy think about how do I have capital that I control? Because I like to think of it as an emergency opportunity fund, right? You're going to have life come at you where you have a bigger expense in some month that you weren't expecting. That would be considered an emergency. You're also going to have opportunities, which is the thing that's really exciting. It's the reason that I want to have cash that I can get to. And that cash that I'm storing is way more valuable than paying off the loan as quickly as possible. Here's the thing. If I have the cash to be able to pay off my mortgage, I'm not in debt. Now, this is something that we talk about on a regular basis. And people say, just because I have a loan, that means I'm in debt. But I know you and your audience are super smart. And you've probably thought this completely through already. But you're only in debt when you have negative equity. And negative equity is a position where your assets are less than your liabilities. Now, if you had your cash sitting somewhere that you could access and say you had $700,000 and you want to pay off your $700,000 mortgage, you could if that was the best use of that capital for you. But what if there was something that would produce a higher return than paying off that loan and you wanted to go ahead and put that into a commercial property or multifamily deal or you wanted to go, go into mobile home parks? and invest in that. You have so many options when you have cash, but you limit your options when you just focus on paying off the loan. And interesting, like that word opportunity fund doesn't exist with the layman. They have emergency fund. And as you can see what I do with my opportunity fund for when deals come along, my video there is simplepassivecashflow.com slash fund, but I use a little nice. bit of infinite banking and some other more liquid investments in there. Use that all the time. You work with a lot of clients, taking from the more high net worth guys who are a little bit more aggressive. What are some of like the takeaways of aha moments that those guys are having or you know, tweaks you're having with those folks? I think what's really interesting is there can be this misleading idea that I just need to get better returns on my investments and that's the one and only strategy that I need to have in my financial life. And if you're only looking at what you're doing in your investing, 
you can be short-sighted to the foundations and the system that you're putting in place. It was interesting. I heard this the other day and I honestly can't remember where it came from. So I wish I could credit the source, but they said, we all have systems in our life for everything. You have a system for your health. You have a system for how you eat. You have a system for how you sleep at night. Now, some of us have chaos as a system, but that's still a system. And so when you think about your money and your finances, you want to have that in a system that is efficient and effective every step of the way. And so before the investing, you want to make sure that you're keeping as much of your money as possible. It's not leaking and flowing out of your control. And then you want to protect that money. And if we're not keeping as much as possible and protecting it, then it doesn't matter how great we're doing in our investments if the rug can be jerked out from underneath us or the floor can fall out. And so when we're talking with any individual and specifically high net worth individuals, a lot of times business owners, and if you own real estate, chances are you can think of that as a business. I think of all real estate investors as business owners. You're in a position where you have this business that you're growing. If you think back to Robert Kiyosaki talking about this, he says a true business is one that can function with or without you in it. If you're investing in real estate and you're building up a real estate portfolio and you want to be in a position where that's truly passive cash flow, like you talk about, you want to be in a position where that really is operated as a business. And one of the ways that we see a lot of times people are having money flow out of their control is taxes. And so I'll just touch on this real briefly, but if you are paying any more dollars in taxes today than you need to be, you are not as efficient as you could be. So think of this, if you were in a position where you had $20,000 flowing out of your control in terms of taxes this year and every year going forward over the span of 10 years, that's $200,000. What could you have put that into in terms of investing? And you talked about opportunity cost before we came on today, but the opportunity cost of having that money flow out of your control is that you could have invested it somewhere and created cash flow. You could have earned those cash on cash returns in the real estate instead. So for instance, one of the ways that we see this happening is if you're in a position where you're not putting an entity structure around your business operations, if that's your real estate, that could be what is your business in your case, you are then taking income from your business operations. And if you're taking those wages, that's fully subject to self-employment tax. And when it really breaks down. This is you're paying the employer and the employee portion of the Medicare and Social Security taxes, and it's a complicated formula, but really it breaks down to about 15.3% self-employment tax. So you have to pay that on any money that you bring from your business over as wages. And, and this business applies to, if you're just a landlord with a few rental yeah. properties, you've got a business, so this applies to you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And what you can do is you can restructure that payment to yourself, still receive the same amount of money, but have a portion. If you're an S corp and you've formed a entity around your business, I believe this works as a C corp as well. I would have to check specifically on that. I think it would just be a different terminology of the, the breakdown, but what you can do is you can pay yourself a reasonable salary. Now you can have the lowest reasonable salary possible. That still is going to be subject to self-employment tax, that 15.3%. But you can have the rest flow over as dividends. I think in a C-Corp, it's called distributions instead of dividends, but I think the strategy is the same. And I don't want you to quote me on that, but at the same time, what you're doing is you're having the wages come over from the business or your real estate ventures. And then on top of that, you're having dividends and the dividends don't have self-employment tax. So you're saving that 15.3% on the portion that's coming over as dividends. So like, for instance, we had uh, somebody who they had a compensation from their S-Corp of 128000 and they were paying that all as wages. And so instead, they broke it down. They had $80,000 salary, and they had then $48,000 come over as a distribution. 
And so that saved them the 15.3% on 48,000. So it was about $7,300 a year that they saved on taxes just by changing their pay structure. And then they also were able to reduce their overhead. They scheduled one staff member instead of two where they didn't need the additional person. They were able to have a central booking appointment strategy that they used. So some technology that they were able to use instead of the additional employee. And so that was another 40,000. And so what happened in that case is that was a savings of $47,000 per year. And again, you might think well, that's only $47,000, but if you add that up over the course of 10 years or so, 20 years, the rest of your life, what is the opportunity cost on having spent that money that you didn't need to spend? So Rachel's talking in terms of businesses. This is for landlords out there with one or two rentals, or maybe even got a bunch of syndication deals. You know, right now, interchange wages with rental income. So it comes in. A lot of us, I think, we're smart enough to have LLCs. It comes into there. But right now you're getting killed because every single penny that you make out of that LLC is getting all that self-employment, all that Medicare or Medicaid tax. Yeah. So what Rachel is saying, we'll carve off a good some portion of it. The more you make in that business, the bigger the amount you can carve off that you can shelter away from that self-employment tax, et cetera. Which is huge. Then you're in a position where you are thinking strategically about the future. And what's really interesting here, Lane, is it's not about gaming the system, the tax system. Really, the tax code, I'm sure you've heard this before, but there's thousands of pages. This thing is a beast, and I would not prefer to personally read it, but there's only a few pages that are about how to pay tax, and the rest of this gigantic document are all ways, they're a roadmap to not pay taxes. And so you really need to be working with somebody who is knowledgeable about the tax code, that really seeks to leverage it in your favor and not do, unfortunately, what most CPAs for common people do. And they say, hey, let's just defer some money and not pay tax on it this year. And that sounds like a great end of story if we stop there, but you still are going to pay tax in the future. So you're just kicking the can down the road and you end up with this big tax bill at the end. And especially for your audience and myself and our audience as well at The Money Advantage, if you're looking to grow your wealth and increase your income, you're going to probably be in a higher tax bracket in the future. And I do not want that tax bill on a higher income in a higher tax bracket. And with 19 trillion plus dollars in US debt right now, we're in a position where if the government says, oh, oh, hey, let's go ahead and increase taxes and decrease tax brackets so that more people are paying more taxes in the future, I don't have control of that. And I certainly don't want to be at that mercy. So I don't want to just defer tax, which is a fancy way of saying postpone. I don't want to just postpone taxes until the future. And that's what a lot of times you'll hear as a tax strategy. And it's really not a tax strategy. Yeah. And what you just said just drives me crazy all the time. Most CPAs don't have a freaking clue what they're doing. That's why they have that job. And that's why I sit at home in my shorts all day long. (laughs) Not to say that, hey, I'm not a CPA. I'm not a lawyer. This is where you have to learn these strategies and you're not going to be the one can potentially be a little dangerous, right? Yes. If you, if you go overboard with these proportions, you possibly can get audited. But oh, yeah, reasonable salary. That doesn't mean you're going to say, oh, my reasonable salary is $1 and the rest of my money is coming over without self-employment tax. That is, that's stepping over the line. And yeah. here's the line <laughs> and you want to be working with a tax strategist that says, okay, I understand the lay of the land and the landscape and I'm willing to walk up to that line but I'm not going to cross over. And that's the piece that instead a lot of CPAs will just say, hey, I'm just going to stay as far away from the line as possible. And that's where a lot of money gets left on the table. And unfortunately, 
way too many people are in that position where they say, I have the best CPA in the world, and yet they're still leaving a lot of money on the table. So again, it is not about doing things that are illegal. That can land you in a huge amount of hot water. Absolutely would never recommend that. But what you want to do is understand how to proactively leverage the tax code. And and here's my analogy. This stuff is like doing a surgery. Rachel and I aren't going to do surgery on ourselves, period. We're not even doctors. No. But we can recommend possibly, hey, why don't we do this? Have you heard of this other operation? And if your CPA is like any other CPA out there, they haven't even heard of the damn thing. So maybe you have to go to first a CPA who can do that operation. But also even good CPAs, they're just looking for the easy way out more times than not. They don't want any kind of odd potential audit in the future, even though it is totally legit. They just want to do what's easy. So you as the client, like I always say, you, you're the boss. You're the property manager works for you. You need to tell them what you want within reason. Same thing here. Your CPA works for you. You need to tell them what you're going for. You need to hear them out. If not, you need to get a new CPA, assuming, and get to someone who is legit and then can do this stuff for you. But yeah, that's... Yeah, but never do it without a CPA. You are using their recommendations. Now, what you want to do is ask yourself, is this the CPA for me? Are they going to help take me to that next level? And a couple of questions you can say is, are they meeting with me outside of tax season? That's just one really good, almost an indicator, a marker. Are they concerned with helping me strategize outside of just saying, okay, what did you already do and how can we react to what you did in your business and your real estate and your investing and and all of those things? Really, you want somebody who's going to help you plan ahead so that you use the right deductions, so that you apply the right things in your strategy and process so that you can take advantage of the tax code. So a lot of people have been sending me their CPAs and because I'm trying to build a list of, you know, good folks to work with. Some people only want to work with people locally. So my quick interview sheet with these guys is like, hey, have you heard of land conservation easements? See what they say. That what I don't want to hear them say is, ah, I never even heard of that. What is that? Okay. Right. Well, I'm not right. here to educate your CPA. And then number two, I want them to understand the dangers and risks of it. But I want to ultimately hear, yeah, we've done them in the past and for the right situation, we'll do it. Yeah, definitely not that first answer, but that's my quick and dirty way of vetting CPAs. It's interesting. And I'll just say this. I'm not a CPA. I work in financial services. And really what we help people do is increase their cash flow. Like we talk, we're talking about cash flow strategies. And so what makes me aware of all these different things that can happen in a person's financial life. We also do a lot of work with privatized banking and alternative investments. So that's where we come into play. So I really just, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm not at all painting the picture that I am a CPA because I'm not, and I'm not a CPA at all. But, but you know, no more than some of them. I do. But at the same time, you need to work with someone who's certified. And one thing that we have done on our show, we had Mike Mix interviewed. We interviewed him and he wrote the book called Profit First. He also wrote The Pumpkin Plan and Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Really great guy. And he focuses on making sure that you have profit in your business and in your personal life, but more than just having a high revenue. And that message is amazing. And he actually has established a network of tax professionals as well. That's the profit first professionals. And that's really one way that you can step in the right direction of saying, how can I make sure that I'm maximizing my profit? So Rachel and I are not advocating to doing this stuff yourself. No home surgeries here. Absolutely not. So I wanted to talk about something for myself personally that I was working on that you and I um, were talk- talking about earlier. It's uh, using your home as like a meeting place, little go-to tax deduction for potentially what, 10 to 20 grand a year or something like that. 
It depends. Well, so, I live in Hawaii, yeah. so it's expensive. Uh, here. Yeah. It, so yeah, here's what this breaks down to. And again, this is a part of the tax code. So it's actually been referred to as the Augusta rule or corporate rent. What happens is there's a portion of the tax code that makes a rental property. And so you have a rental property that you pay tax on your rental income is something that is not short term. You're renting at least 15 or more days a year. But if you're at 14 days of rental or less, then the income that you receive from that is not subject to tax. So here's what it looks like. You own a house and you're in Hawaii and your listeners are probably all- I rent because it makes no sense to Okay. But either way- Smart then, that's awesome. Yeah, so say you did own the property or you're in California um, or wherever you live and you're in a position where you say, I wanna rent out my home. This kind of started, well, it was brought to light by people in Augusta, Georgia with the masters playing the masters tournament and they would rent out their homes during tournament week when they had all the golf fans coming into town. And it was fascinating to me because they could easily rent their homes for $7,500 a day because of the demand. The hotels couldn't handle the volume. And so they're saying, okay, here's what the market is doing and how much we can rent our homes out for. And it was to people who are coming in from out of town. Now you can rent your home Anyone can rent their home, their personal residence, up to 14 days a year. You could rent it to people who are coming into town, your um, neighbors. You could rent it to um, people coming in town for an event, football, games, whatever. But what you want to do is you can also say, anyone who's renting that, the income that I receive, if it's 14 days or less, I don't pay tax on that money when I receive the rental income. So my business can be a renter of my personal residence. So there we go. And Lane, I would have to check on that strategy because I haven't had somebody ask me if they currently rent their residence. Can they rent it out to their business? I think so, but I honestly I think so, but yeah, we I would have to check. We'll, we'll check. Yeah. So I know if you own it, you can. Right. So what is a, a good example, right? Like here we yeah. don't know the answer, but we're going to ask the question the right way to yes. not have a CPA. Just say, you can't do that. That's done with that. Now I'm going to, now I can go meet my tea time at three o'clock. Exactly. You want to make sure that they understand what this means. And, and this is just one amazing strategy, but from your business, you're then able to pay yourself personally what would be reasonable to rent out that home. And again, in Hawaii, it's probably much higher than in the, say, breadbasket of the U.S. Or if you're in California on the coast, you're going to have a much higher cost of renting. So you want to have a reasonable cost. If you could rent another similar house for $1,000 a day, you're not going to charge 20,000 to your business. That would be ridiculous, but you want to have that be com comparable. But then what happens is the business or your business that surrounds your real estate investing or your investing in general, then can pay yourself personally. What happens is that's a deduction on the side of the business. So they're not paying tax on that because it's a deductible business expense on the personal side that comes to you as non-taxable income. You don't have to report it on your tax return. So what's happening is that you're, it's an additional way to get money out of your business without paying tax on that particular portion of the money. And so we've seen this in, say for instance, in our area, you could rent for about, you know, $1,400 a day or so. So you stack that up over times 14. I'm going to go ahead and do the math on that. I didn't plan that in advance, but let's just say 1,400 times 14 days. That's 19,600. If you're in a I don't know, say 30% tax bracket here, that's 58.80 in tax savings on using that strategy over the course of the year. Do you follow me on that math? Sounds like cheating to me, but hey, it's just following the tax rules. It is definitely following the tax rules. And again, 
Now, don't go overboard. You can't charge something that's unreasonable. You can't go over the 14 days or all of the income you receive is subject to tax then. And, just- and I also heard of, I haven't done this before. This is what's been told to me is that you've got to go through the exercise of getting some bids. I'm going to yes, go call up three hotels in Waikiki, see what their, Absolutely. their daily price and build yep. like a, a note and say, hey, we're just going to take the average, which is 14800 whatever. Yes, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yes, you do have to do the research. You have to document. It has to be a business purpose that your business was renting the house for. So that could be client meetings. It could be meeting of your directors or your owners of the business. There's many different ways. You could have your annual um, business meeting there, but it does have to be documented. And again, like any strategy, specifically on the tax side, everything has to be extremely well documented. You can deduct anything that is a business use If you have a personal expense that is a business use as well, there's ways that you can deduct that. But again, it has to be very clearly and articulately documented that there was a business use for that. So whether that's travel or there's law changes, so I don't want to be too specific, but there's a lot of things that you can deduct, but you have to have a clear business purpose. I know you can do that with a C-Corp and that's why I'm looking to switch to a C-Corp personally, but do you know if you can do it with S-Corp or just a regular LLC? I know you can with an S-Corp and again, the S-Corp, C-Corp are just the taxation structure around the entity. So the LLC is not a tax structure. We have a great interview on our podcast as well. I can give you the, the link to it later that kind of articulates more of that. Yeah, so, shoot that over and then I'll put that yeah. in the, the show notes just with all your awesome. other stuff links into that Got later. It. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's just another idea of maybe that Augusta rule won't be around forever, but for the time being, hey, that's free money. You got to grab it. That's absolutely true. And again, it's taking advantage of the current circumstances and knowing what's available to you. And yeah, it may not be available forever. It might not be even next year, but right now that is available. And you can do some research on that as well, but it's, it's part of the tax code and they were going to do away with it altogether. But there was a lot of lobbying that said, hey, if we're only renting out up to the short term under 15 days, 14 or less per year, can we still keep those tax advantages? And, and they came back and ruled that yes, you can. Yeah, it definitely has a fly under the radar thing because I think what the whether big push on that is the short-term rental guys. Mm-hmm. Those are like the majority of people trying to fight for that 14-day rule or less. Oh, yeah. And the Augusta people are just flying under the radar or people like us doing this. Absolutely. Any other takeaways or little tips that you can leave us? I know you got to go here soon. I would say probably the number one additional thing that we see as a money leak is sometimes the money that people think they're saving. And this again is something that I see coming over from the typical way of thinking about money and gets almost into our mindset and our mind frame. Even when we move up in income and we move up in investing, we're in a position where we're still hearing this financial noise of the culture around us that says, hey, max out your 401k. And so I just want to talk to that for a quick second. That might be a great strategy for you or for someone else. However, it's really important to understand what is happening and how it works. And so one thing I don't like is when I hear someone say, I'm saving money for retirement. I'm saving in a 401k. Now, when you're deferring the tax on money and you're putting it into a basket of mutual funds, which is invested in stocks and bonds. That which is- are crappy investments. Exactly. They are. And I would absolutely agree with you on that. But when you're investing, when you're putting that money into the stock market, that's investing. That is not savings. Savings is something where you know that money is not going to drop in value. It's going to be there for you. We've seen way too many people actually came into the industry after 2008 when I saw so many people that I was not able to help. 
I was working for a rental car company at the time and walking passengers to their car in the pouring rain and just seeing the devastation on their face. They literally were losing half their life savings because they had put money in the stock market and they saw it wiped out overnight. And it was just terrifying to me. And I, I said, oh my goodness, I never want to personally be in that position, but how can I help people as much as possible to not be in that financial position? And so I just want to say, if you're putting money into qualified retirement plans, A, that's not saving because it can, the bottom can fall out. And it also is not the ideal way to plan for the future. And I'll say a few things on that. One is that if you see a balance, say it's even a million dollars, and I know that this has been, hey, if I get a million dollars, which your, your audience is far beyond thinking that a million dollars is the end all be all because they know that that's not enough to create the lifestyle that they want in the future. But say you did get that much on your account statement. It says you have a million dollars in your 401k. You're in a position where that money doesn't even all belong to you. The government has a portion of that, that whatever they decide to tax in the future, when you take that money out, that belongs to them. So that 1 million doesn't even fully belong to you. So not only is it not safe, it's also not a guarantee that full balance belongs to you. So what we really want to look at instead is understanding, do I want my money in a position that's safe? Do I want it in a place where I can access it and use it? Oh, that's the other thing. You can't um, take the money out without paying the tax. And if you're under 59 and a half, you're going to pay an additional tax penalty as well. So it's not really liquid. It's not available for you to say, hey, I just want to take out this whole million right now and go invest that into investments with Lane. There's no way that they can do that. And so really you want to have money that's accessible to you. And that's where we typically are looking at higher leverage strategies and things like privatized banking, which I know that you're familiar with that as well. And saying, how can I have this money in a storage tank, if you will, that is liquid, that I can use it and I have control. Right. Yeah. I don't have any uh, qualified retirement plans myself. No self-directed IRAs. No, no. I think QRPs are okay. If you guys have a lot of 401k money and you don't want mm -hmm. to take the big AGI hit in one year, I think that's a good option. Then you don't have to unify yeah. tax, but going down a rabbit hole there. But yeah, I heard somewhere like the biggest source of income, potential income for the IRS are qualified retirement plans, which are the 401ks. And you can bet they're going to get at it somehow. So again, yeah. get away from what no regular people are doing. Absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, and maybe I, I'll correct myself. The 401k mutual fund stuff, it's not that investments are crappy. It's just the fee structure, the hidden fee structure is like what, taking that 10% away from all the gains at least. So definitely it takes a lot. And it's just interesting because the fees are fixed and you can have your money fluctuate up and down. And the challenge with that is that if you are down, the management fee is still taken out, which means you're going down even more negative. And when you go negative, you have to tremendously overcompensate with a gain to just get back to even. And this is, again, a whole nother subject. But if you lose half, if you lose 50%, it takes 100% return to compensate for that. And so it's just fascinating to me when I look at somebody, if you had $1,000 and you lost, let's say you lost 90%. You're at $100,000, you lost 90%, you're down to $10,000. It's going to take you a 900% return to get back up to just to just breaking even. Right. And so, yeah, you want to be in a position where you're not just looking at the average. You're not just trying to have your money stay in it for the long haul and have those management fees taken out. Absolutely. Yeah. Check out Rachel's podcast, the money advantage podcast, and she's got a program. So we'll link that up in the show notes along with some other notes that we have here. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, Rachel. We appreciate it. 
Absolutely, Lane. Thank you so much for having us today. And again, Bruce was not able to join us, but this has just been really a pleasure talking with you today. It's really exciting to talk with like-minded people who really- I know, yeah, that's why we do the mastermind. I'm so tired of people looking cross-eyed with me when I tell them I don't have any 401k anymore. I don't either. Yeah. All right. Thank you. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you're the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.